Okay, hello there. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Um, once again, for our webinar, today's webinar is on what are the key principles of safety differently, and it'll be presented by Andy Schoen, um, and he's the CEO of Southpac International. Just a, a few details about him. Andy is, um, is CEO of Southpac, as well as being an active facilitator, lead auditor and consultant. He has led the development of innovative training and assurance programs covering leadership, quality, safety, and continual improvement, all with a focus on the critical role of people. Um, Andy is a postgraduate graduate of the Griffith University Safety Science Innovation Lab in Brisbane, Australia, and is a passionate proponent of cutting edge leadership concepts and safety science. So before I go over to Andy, I just want to say um, there's a Q&A panel. Please use that to ask any questions. We'll be answering them, them at the end. Please don't use the chat panel for questions. If you want to chat directly to me um, with a question, you can use the chat panel. And once again, we will be recording this and sending out a video and a podcast later. I'm also going to put a link in the chat panel to um, all upcoming webinars and past webinars if you're interested in signing up for those too. So over to you, Andy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sarah. And it's great to be uh, talking to your, uh, your audience and your clients again. So thanks very much for having us. Um, when I initially put the uh, presentation together, the idea I think was going to be... Uh, introduction to, to safety differently but I kind of got thinking when I was putting the material together was maybe what's needed more than an introduction is a balanced conversation about safety differently so I kind of changed the theme slightly because um, one of the things that kind of one of the themes that we've observed and I'm sure other people who are listening in have seen this is this kind of quite almost tribal warfare or <laughs> that's broken out between people who are adherents to or, or believe in safety differently and, and those that don't. Um, and I firmly believe it's not terribly useful, the kind of um, the extreme sort of language and, and sort of um, perspectives and uh, opinions that people are forming about safety differently. And sometimes some of it's completely uh, ill-informed Ill or, or wrong. But from one extreme here we mentioned, so and I've been called a decorite before because I've studied at Griffith University and I just kind of find that somewhat amusing. But so you get from one extreme of the people who are completely anti-safety differently. So you guys are all brainwashed decorites, safety differently is insert some indoctrinatory terms. It's, it's a cult, it's a fad, it's a passing phase. Uh, safety differently is a socialist conspiracy is another one I've heard, which is kind of, kind of interesting. Um, so that's not really terribly useful. Some people know about well, you know, a tiny bit about safety differently. And as the expression goes, sometimes a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And then on the other extreme, probably just as bad is uh, safety differently is the answer. Safety differently is, you know, the biggest thing since, best thing since sliced bread. It's the like most significant event since the Renaissance, you know, <laughs> hence the picture here, or maybe since creation. Everything before safety differently is rubbish. Everything you're doing currently is wrong. You need to change everything. And I don't think either position uh, is terribly useful uh, and when that dialogue begins to happen what happens when it enables to take extreme positions like that all nuance about ideas and, and concepts begins to be lost um, and then what could potentially be really valuable kind of gets lost with it um, so I think in safety generally as well as in other other places we you know we really undervalue uh, nuance and the ability to be able to uh, look at things in a bit more detail. Um, so hopefully we can kind of look at some of these ideas of what forms safety differently today and kind of say, well, let's put aside some of the more extreme kind of messaging that sometimes goes with it, but and also look at, well, how can we implement some of these ideas? So safety differently kind of starts with a kind of almost a straw man argument, I would say, about what safety currently is and why therefore we need to change. Um, and I think this is done deliberately. Uh, I think it's a deliberately provocative act by saying, well, this is how most people currently manage safety. People are the problem to control. Tell them what to do and count your success by the absence of negative events, whether it's uh, accidents and incidents and ever you know, reducing your LTI rate or BIFR or whatever met metric you use. And I think, well, Elements of all of those things are true, but I think if an organization was only doing those things and were fully committed to the idea that people are the problem to control, I think that would be a fairly pathological organization. And I don't think there's that many 
you know, truly pathological organizations out there. So this kind of, by saying this is what safety currently is, immediately for some people gets them very defensive and upset and they, they kind of say, well, that's not the case. That's not what we're doing. However, with each of each of these three kind of uh, broad ideas or kind of current labels of how safety is done, there is obviously an element of truth to how organizations are currently doing safety. So people are the problem to control. No, the very few organizations are truly going to say that people are a problem to control. In fact, many organizations would still say, oh, no, our, our people are the, are the secret to our success. However, when things go wrong, potentially, or in their safety programs, maybe they have a lot of tools uh, and activities going on, which are, if you really kind of peel away behind the underpinning logics, you start to see, well, maybe this is treating people as a problem to control. Maybe this is seeing that all of our issues are caused by people um, as opposed to being, you know, maybe deeper issues. Tell them what to do. Well, there's a fair amount of telling that goes on in safety. That's, that's certainly true. You know, we have, if you're looking about our messaging and communications and the way we write procedures sometimes, and we put golden rules and cardinal rules and these types of things in place, we think, well, yeah, that's, there's, there's certainly truth in that too. We do a, a lot of, it's not saying we exclusively tell them what to do, but how much telling what to do are we doing in our organizations? And then finally, counting success by absence of negatives. Well, I think that's fairly true because that is the existing paradigm of the majority of approaches to safety. Uh, there has been efforts to move towards uh, more leading uh, uh, metrics and so forth, but not a great deal of them have been terribly successful. And I don't think many really relate to uh, telling us uh, what's happening in the organization. They tend to be more related to safety administration uh, or safety workers. Uh, David Proven and, and Drew Ray would say. So it's kind of uh, how many audits have we completed? How many inspections have we completed? How many inductions have we completed? Uh, well, those things kind of, those kind of leading metrics probably are only really measuring activity, safety activity, but not necessarily the safety of work. So, so in all three of these kind of problem statements around how safety currently is, there is an element of truth to all of them. And they're the things that need to be challenged. And that was ultimately what we're, what the safety differently kind of, um, kind of leaders are trying to get people to think about. Uh, and that maybe comes across uh, overly provocative at times. But I think we'd all be in agreement that we've seen in recent years a, a trend to go towards more what we'd call either trivial safety or paper safety. Uh, these are terms that Greg Smith, the, the author from, uh, from Perth, has used. And I, I like these terms a lot because they really describe what, what some organizations have got themselves almost by accident bogged down into kind of trivial safety, i.e. focusing on things that really don't matter. Um, we've got a very large oil and gas uh, client. Um, they've got some major hazards and risks in their workplace, as all oil and gas companies do. Yet I was at one of their head office sites and they had safety documentation around how to safely dispose of cracked coffee cups. And I think, man, really? Is that really what a safety department are focusing their efforts on in an organization that is running kind of serious, you know, uh, risky uh, facilities and so forth? So there's definitely trivial safety happening and paper safety, I think, kind of goes. We all see that, too, in our workplaces. We're honest with each other we have the, it's been labeled the ratchet effect sometimes, you know, it's very easy to go one way and put more paperwork and more paperwork and more bureaucracy and more paperwork and more checklists, and more risk assessments in place. It's a lot harder to bring them back. Um, so we do, we certainly see that in, you know, even just anecdotally without going to the kind of research to show that organizations have definitely experienced a lot more paper safety and, the different the difficulty is we don't know how much safety that paperwork is actually generating is it improving a little bit is it improving a lot oftentimes we don't really have a meaningful way of of knowing that those that paperwork and that documentation and bureaucracy is, is making us safer and there's generally a suspicion with a lot of the instances that they're probably not and add to that there's also a, a legalistic argument you could say well sometimes these activities actually make us more liable when things go wrong, as opposed to being a protection. There's many organizations, but we need to have this stuff documented because we need to be protected should, should then the worst happen and we're dragged into court and so forth. And of course, things like industrial manslaughter uh, and changes like that are coming around that aren't necessarily very useful there either. So 
There are legitimate problems we, we see in the safety profession, which safety differently is providing a critique of. And it, we just listed here a few of the other associated issues that safety differently is aiming to try and address. So they've got burgeoning compliance impost and costs. Well, there's been without a doubt, especially since the WHS Act of 2011 and the associated stuff that's gone with it, plus generally a very large self-imposed uh, regulatory or bureaucratic burden. Uh, we are seeing a, a big increase in the costs on business and not necessarily a, a you know an associated improvement in safety that's gone along with that. So that kind of ties into the second uh, point of a proliferation of safety work. So we're doing more and more inductions and audits and inspections and site inductions and, and observations and uh, and so and so it goes on. More and more uh, paperwork and safety work, but they're not necessarily an improvement by our traditional metrics of seeing a, a reduction in fatalities, in lost time injuries, um, and that's been seen in across a number of different industries across the world um, over the last ten years. Pretty much a flatlining safety performance, uh, and tied with that, of course, is this commitment to try and reduce the negative outcomes ever more, and tying that sometimes with financial, uh, you know incentives leads to numbers games anyone who's been around the safety game for uh, any period of time will know what we mean by by numbers games where kind of there's a you make people highly accountable or accountable for very low numbers people are pretty clever they find ways of delivering low numbers and there's very many different ways in which you can improve your LTI rate or your biffer or triffer or whatever without actually changing very much at all uh, so all these kind of problems have created an overall perception that safety has become a bureaucratic accountability, not an ethical responsibility. Uh, and that's kind of one of the mantras of, of safety differently. You know, we've got too concerned in bureaucracy and numbers and counting and reporting this to the board and in turn report it to the market, as opposed to getting back to, well, isn't safety supposed to be about making people safer in the workplace to look after our people? And that's an ethical responsibility first. Um, that's not to dismiss the fact that, of course, there is also still a bureaucratic accountability that goes with it. We, we are living, a, a, you know, we're operating a legal framework that that, that is a requirement. So um, I think it's about getting a balance there, as opposed to being, uh, oh, we don't want bureaucratic accountability. It's all about ethical responsibility. So well, that's not the world we live in. We need the bureaucratic accountability, but we also need to remember that it's first and foremost an ethical responsibility. So. How does this manifest itself in the workplace? This kind of, these different, different approaches between say what we might say traditional safety or current safety as it is currently versus safety differently. Well, here, here take this very simple example. Um, we've got the design on the one hand, and we can say that's work is imagined. And then we've got the user experience and how it's actually being done. And we can say, well, that's, that's the work has done. And this is kind of a conversation we have a lot within safety differently or safety two or hot, these various different terms around this difference between workers imagined versus workers done. Now in our traditional approaches to safety, this is, I would say, this is where we find, oh, this is a, this is a problem. Uh, we shouldn't have this kind of, this divergence between workers imagined and workers done. So in a traditional approach, you would say, well, this is a problem. And the people causing the problem, well, are the people that they, they should be doing as designed, you should be doing as they're told. So I guess the traditional approach, when we find this through, whether it's through, and I'm not talking about taking shortcuts in the park, but in general, deviating from a planned or a predetermined right way of doing things, when we find these things through observations and audits and so forth, is to say, well, this is wrong, you need to get back here to where the design of the system is. So it's about when we see these kind of things saying, well, how do we look at these sorts of things differently? So I guess one of the critical things we'd say is safety differently is not a program. It's not something you can just download. You can go and get yourself a manual or whatever, a set of new posters or whatever, or whatever else goes with any new fad. There is no package of materials. You can say, oh, we've got this stuff now and we're doing safety differently. It's a set of principles or key themes or ideas uh, that first of all, an organization needs to kind of accept, I guess, want to, to believe in and say, yes, we're going to do business differently going forward. This is how we're going to do safety. Um, and that then in turn guides and informs the decisions and actions um, that they take. There isn't necessarily a set of tools. You say, well, these are safety differently tools as opposed to traditional tools. 
it may be a case of we want to do some things differently. Uh, that's certainly possible. So trying new things, whether it's uh, things like learning teams or whether it's uh, field insights or, or the various different ideas and approaches that people are developing out there, that's fine. But it's also about well, the existing things we're doing. How do we orient those to align more with the, our safety differently uh, approach? So what is the safety differently approach and what are those principles? So these are to contrast with the safety currently um, and they're kind of summarized as well. People are the solution. People are not the problem to control. People are the solution. And we'll talk about that one in just a moment. Therefore, if people are the solution, rather than intervening in their behavior, the, uh, the idea is to intervene in the conditions of work. And we'll talk about that in a moment as well as the second principle of safety differently. And third of all, define safety as the presence of positive capacities as opposed to uh, the absence of negative events. This one often gets people really kind of worked up and we'll talk about what is actually meant by that principle and what it's not meant by that principle because I see that being thrown at me in lots of different settings. I'm like, well, you haven't really understood what the intent of that principle is. So it's best to get that right, then we'll have a conversation about whether it's right or wrong or not. So first up, principle one, people are the solution. So this kind of really is our starting assumption uh, for safety differently. And it's something that's kind of very common with other progressive approaches to safety. Our starting assumption is that people are a solution and not a problem. If that is our, where we set off from, that kind of changes the way we we're gonna to respond to when we see things that are either convened to be, be wrong or not in accordance with our systems or deviant or whatever term you wanna use. And it also makes us a lot more interested in, well, how do we go about setting people up for success? Uh, if they're our solution, that means we wanna try and make them as successful as possible. We also wanna deal and the people in the way which allows them to build trust between both themselves and the organization and vice versa and for them to feel empowered. So if people are the solution, more of our actions are focused on devolving, decluttering and decentralizing. So devolving, like pushing authority and power and decision making back out to the people who have the closest knowledge and experience of the work. The people who know how work currently gets done and what the challenges are and how it can be made better. Uh, decluttering is kind of the, the de-bureaucratization of, of safety, where we can. What stuff is adding no value? What stuff is just getting in the way? And can we really just say, well, this is just creating more, more process and more bureaucracy, but it's not giving us anything else. And then decentralizing, it was about moving safety from being something that happens in a head office back to the field, back to operations in, a, in high reliability organizations through we talk about sensitivity to operations. It's like, well, operations is where the risk lives. It's where their work's happening. It's where the people who are managing safety every day uh, are. So we want to push safety out to, the, to these operational aspects of the business. The people who ultimately own the risk and are dealing with it and managing it every day. So that starting assumption kind of influences many other things, actions and decisions that the organization makes. But a big part of that is about saying, well, if people are the solution, we need to provide a, a way of engaging with them and creating greater trust. So in the example we just looked at, if people are the solution, we say, okay, well, workers imagine is the design and work is done is what they're doing. A safety differently approach would be say, well, why are they doing it this way? Is this better? These are people who do the work every day. Is it the fact that this is, a, this is just the normal and this is the, the, the only way to get the job done or is the best way to get the job done? So by having this dialogue and two-way kind of conversation, that allows us to get better outcomes, allows us to, to make the system better, uh, allows for greater engagement. Um, and that's really, kind of the, the, the building block that the other two kind of principles then build on. So the second principle of safety differently is to intervene in the conditions of work as opposed to intervening in behavior. So you can talk all day long about the, the original purpose and the ideas behind behavior-based safety. But I think most people would agree that behavior-based safety 
um, as it's practiced today, by and large, is about observing people's behaviors and then intervening directly in the behaviors. So getting people to make safer choices or better decisions. Uh, and we see a lot of messaging around that, whether it's things like hearts and minds campaigns, and we just get people to believe and, and, and that safety is a priority and get them to think more about uh, what they're doing and get them to think about their family. So they want to get home safe at the end of the day. Well, by doing that, you're making all the problem about the people, which goes back to the, end of the first, pump, uh, first principle. People are not the problem to control people are the solution. So we have to assume that people are generally going to work with good intent. They generally do want to do a good job uh, and they generally do want to go home. Both them and their colleagues want to go home in one piece. They do want to get home to their families. So these kind of exhortations kind of can tie them up as safety ABCs. Always be careful, you know, always make good choices. Really aren't that useful. Um, they don't really add a great deal to our safety conversation. So what we need to do is get a lot better at intervening in the conditions of work. So what's this picture here got to do with anything? Well, this is a supermarket. Now, supermarkets and retailers and online retailers understand psychology sometimes a hell of a lot better than we do as safety professionals. And that is kind of really borne out by the way they design things. So think of the way a supermarket is designed. I always ask this question in a face-to-face -face classroom uh, setting. Who here has ever been to the supermarket to buy just milk? And pretty much everyone says, yeah, yeah, we've, we've been to a supermarket to buy just milk. And I ask, well, where is the milk located in a supermarket? And everyone immediately kind of smiles or smirks as well at the far left corner or the far right corner, i.e. as far away from the door as possible. I say, well, why is that? Why does the supermarket do that? Well, it's obvious. They want us to walk through as much of the supermarket as possible increasing the odds that we're going to buy more things. So that's just an understanding of the fact that if you change the context, you change the conditions, you can potentially change people's behavior, but you're not targeting the behavior directly. You're making or creating conditions that make that behavior more likely to happen. And that's kind of what safety differently is tapping into this idea that the context is important or context you could say is vital. And therefore, if we want to try and change the way people behave and the decisions people make, well, focus on what are the drivers in the context that are making them behave the way they are currently? What's shaping and influencing the behavior and how do we modify that? So we're better focused on, on the work conditions as opposed to um, the behavior. Now, you may have seen this before. Um, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Now, this is, I think, a really important um, video because it gets misused uh, a lot and has generated a lot of misunderstanding about what is actually meant by uh, safety differently. So this is a square in Holland where they had many problems, including uh, several accidents per year. They had poor throughput. They had all, all the typical problems we have in, in, in busy towns and cities where we have busy crossroads. Now, of course, whenever we have any traffic problem, you only have to look around Australia to see how we approach that any old traffic problem. It's by immediately intervening in people's behavior by and large. It's directly affecting people's behavior. Hey, make better decisions. We're gonna do more enforcement. We're gonna do more, more points, double demerits, triple demerits, like all these different kind of approaches we take. I guess you could call them hard approaches that are kind of aimed at changing people's behavior. but. Again, I'm not sure how, how much success these approaches are, are actually having, are, are having. So in this square in Holland, they took a different approach. Uh, a traffic engineer by the name of Hans Mondermann said, well, I think you can get a better result, but not by focusing on people's behavior, but by focusing on the conditions. So they said with this square, take out all the rules, stop lines, traffic lights, line markings, all the rest of it. Now, of course you'd immediately say, well, that's, gonna, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you take, take away all those controls and all the rules? It's gonna be chaos. Well, let's see what happens when, they, when you do do that.
So some people are surprised by that outcome. Other people, you know, oh, that's, that's predictable. That's what's going to happen. But the interesting thing is you change the conditions and as a result, the behavior changes. Now, that crossroads is actually surprisingly efficient uh, and surprisingly safe. Um, why is that? Why has taking that different approach to an old problem uh, made things so much better? What makes it successful? Well, we said about a safety ABCs before. Well, here's the safety ABCDE. So firstly, there is more autonomy or self-determination put back into this situation. People are not blindly being told what to and just be obediently doing as they're told. So I, it's red, so I stop. It's green, so I immediately go. Um, they're not waiting for, for pedestrian crossings and, and things like that. People make decisions about how they're going to respond and how they're going to behave in this particular setting. So they have to think for themselves. They're taking more responsibility in this setting than they would be in normal settings. So the behavior is changed by the setting and by the conditions, not by necessarily by putting in more rules. In fact, the rules have largely been taken out. Interestingly, when then you create a situation like this, then it requires more collaboration. Everyone's watching what everyone else is doing. Interestingly, another thing that happens when you change the conditions in this way, everybody slows down. People that often then start to so will slow down to the speed of the slowest person in the situation. So if an old person walks into the square, everyone slows down even more. Because then again, it's about people are collaborating. They don't want to be the person who's responsible for something bad happening. So it's interesting that through that, through this change in the design, it actually makes a situation look more risky, probably because it is. But people behave in a more safe way as a consequence. They make better decisions. They kind of are paying more attention. They've got their head up and they're looking around and engaging with what's happening around the outside world. People are not playing with their phones here, waiting for the light to go green. So as a consequence, everyone's engaged. You cannot enter the crossing without being engaged in your own safety. So it's pushing down responsibility back to the people involved in the situation. So you'd say, well, what was the result of this? Well, throughput for this crossroads has dramatically improved. And so is safety. There's been a lot less accidents uh, on this same, uh, same crossroads. Now, what's the point of this illustration? Because I've seen it being used and then people are saying, see, what you need to do is take out all the rules like they've done here in this square. To which I say, no, 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 no. That is not the point of the illustration and why would people look at this crossroads in Holland. In that setting, that's what they did. They took out the rules, but it's not necessarily the rules which we're saying needs to be taken out. The point is, what is the focus? In the square in Holland, they focused on changing the conditions, not focused on changing the rules or putting more rules in place to try and more tightly govern the behavior of the people in the situation. So the point we're saying and, and trying to make with this illustration is not take out all the rules which I've seen people say all the time, oh, it's utopian, safety differently, take out all the rules and everyone will just know what to do and, and do things right all the time and so forth. Well, no, we, we, in safety differently, we understand there still has to be rules. Everyone understands that there has to be rules and there has to be a framework around how the organization operates. The point is how many rules, who sets the rules, how can the rules be changed? And how much autonomy do we want to allow? Are we happy with a looser set of a looser framework, which then still allows for autonomy and responsibility? So that's the rules conversation. But critically, the important thing is we're focused on the conditions, not focused on the rules. And that leads us in into our third principle. Define safety as a presence of positive capacities. Now, this often gets taken out of context, is often misunderstood, and you'll start to hear, oh, safety differently is all just about things going well. And it's just all about positive stuff and blah, 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 and kind of complete misunderstanding of what is meant by this term. So differently along with other approaches, safety two, hop, high reliability organization theory. These all kind of have come to redefine what we mean by the term safety. They say, yeah, sure, safety can be defined as an absence of harm or the absence of accidents and incidents. But safety can also be defined in a way where it's a presence of something. Uh, so you may have seen this term before, safety is a presence of capacity. So what do we mean by this term capacity? People say they'll immediately challenge that. Oh, what do you mean by this term capacity? Well, that varies from situation to situation, but 
every organization has certain capacities that are in, embedded in the organization that allow things to go well. So it's understanding, well, what are these capacities that we currently have and how do they contribute to more often than not things going well? So analogy I really like um, to use is to think about, um, think about a marriage. If you wanted to really understand successful marriages and wanted to write a book about successful marriage, would you go and do all your interviewing and all your research based on people who have been divorced? Probably not. Like you'd get some insights into what causes divorce and things not to do in a marriage, but that's not the same as finding out from people who have been happily married for a long time what makes their marriage happy and successful. So if you want to understand that, i.e. what are the capacities that you need in, the, in a marriage to make it successful, you need to go and study successful marriages, not divorces. So it's the same with safety. Yeah, we need to understand accidents and how they happen, but we also, that's kind of by definition, accidents are the absence of safety. So if you want to understand safety and how it's made and how it's created every day, we have to go and look at normal work and how is safety being created in that context. So the expression was used some years back by Carl Weick, um, one of the original academics in high reliability organization theory, where he talked about dynamic non-events safety and reliability being a dynamic non-event. And you can say, well, that's almost a, a, a contradiction in terms, a dynamic non-event. But you can put this another way, what's happening when nothing's happening? I.e., when there's no bad outcome, when there's no accidents and incidents going on, what's happening? It's that that we need to get a lot more interested in. That's the safety differently message. Understand what it is that's happening when there's nothing happening. How is it that our people, more often than not, create success and make things go well. So the safety two perspective, which is tied in here, because uh, I think Sidney Decker, the originator of the, or one of the originators of the safety differently idea would certainly say safety two is a critical part of safety differently in terms of it's the hinge that a lot of progressive new ideas swing on. So the safety two perspective here is like bringing in these resilience potentials. So people monitor and respond and anticipate and learn and those positive capacities, both at an individual level and an organizational level, allow an organization to be successful, or allow things to go well. And that's ultimately what we're talking about in terms of these positive capacities. The positive capacities that are present, I, the things we want and would ideally like more of, we would like to create more of these capacities because they allow things to go well. And things can't go well and go wrong at the same time. So if we make more things go well in the organization, we create more capacity to make things go well, well then by default, less things are going wrong. So we're not having as many accidents or incidents. So people say, okay, besides those four, what else are these capacities? Well, the thing I always say is, well, go out and find out in your own organization. What are the capacities? Find out from your people. That's one of the things that's really interesting to go and learn about. What are the kind of the strategies that your people have come up with? What are the, um, what are the potentials that they've developed that enable them to be successful? Other things that other capacities or qualities that an organization may want to generate, which helps build more capacity for success is, the first one here is the diversity of opinion, the poss possibility to voice dissent. That's a capacity that allows us the organization to constructively be challenged or to challenge itself. Keeping a discussion on risk alive. We know this, we sometimes you make this strange distinction between risk or dynamic risk. Well, all risk is dynamic. Risk is ever changing. And sometimes things come along which completely surprise us as the situation we're in right now as a society. So the risk is ever variable. So we have to keep that discussion alive and that's a capacity. Deference to expertise, a high reliability organization principle. So understanding that the people who best know about the work are those that do the work. And therefore it may be appropriate to, de to delegate decision-making about the work to those who do the work. So decisions are made based on expertise as opposed to hierarchy. Creating the ability to say stop allowing people to question and challenge in a constructive way, breaking down barriers between hierarchies and departments. So everyone's working together and collaborating. Uh, and Edward Deming one here. So these aren't all original ideas. Pride of workmanship, 
This is one of Deming's 14 points from the 70s and 80s. But if people are proud of what they can create and we create the capacity for us to have a, a workforce which are proud of what they do, that is more likely to mean we get more things going well. So one of the things to think about with safety differently, it is called safety differently, not safety new. Some of the ideas in safety differently are new, but not all of them. Some of these ideas are kind of been around for a while, but it's different in terms of that not many people are doing it. So that's another criticism often gets level. Oh, this isn't new, this isn't a new idea. Well, it's not necessarily purporting to be all new, but it is definitely a challenge to some of the orthodoxies of safety. So hopefully that provides a little bit of a, a kind of a taster for what safety differently is and provides a little bit of a balanced uh, perspective of kind of the key ideas and the key themes of safety differently. If you're interested in learning more, there have been two movies now made about safety differently. Uh, you'll notice there Sydney Decker's website, sydneydecker.com. Uh, and you can watch the Safety Differently video, or the original movie, and also Safety Differently in Practice, which focuses on Queensland urban utilities primarily in Brisbane and the fantastic work that Kim Bancroft and her team have done uh, implementing Safety Differently uh, in their workplace. Um, so that's certainly a, a worthwhile resource. And there's other videos about Safety Differently there on, on Sydney's website. Uh, our own website, the Hop Lab, which can be... Uh, accessed from southbackinternational.com and just follow the icon that looks like the hot lab there and features a lot of video content and, and articles and ideas that very much are complementary to the safety differently message and for those who are readers the books i think i recommend the strongest and, and i'm sure sydney wouldn't be offended if i say don't read the safety differently book it's very heavy it's very academic it's probably not a practitioner's book to be honest with you so i, I wouldn't recommend that but i would recommend uh, the field guide to understanding human error uh, a very good book uh, by Sydney that can includes many of these ideas and also Safety 1 and Safety 2 from Eric Holnagel. So they're, they're worthwhile resources checking out. So hopefully that's been, been helpful. Uh, I'm happy to hang on and answer uh, as many questions as people have. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Sarah and team for, for having us on and uh, look forward to speaking next week again about uh, HOP specifically, HOP and the uh, Human Organization Performance Principles. Thank you, Andy. Um, I have, there's a couple of questions coming through and I just want to say, I've just put the link to the Hop Lab in the chat panel. People want to open that link oh, after. Um, so Ivan has said the concept I've always struggled with is how do you achieve safety differently and also deal with people that do make poor decisions? I guess as a simple example, regulation states seatbelts must be worn, but you have a worker that just chooses not to. Surely there must still be scope to hold people to account. Yeah, okay, so that, that's, a really, <laughs> that's a really big question uh, and there's a lot of different uh, ways in which we could go that. But, so to answer the key point directly, yes, of course, there is always still a scope and a possibility for people to be held to account. This doesn't necessarily rule that out. But what does a holding to account look like? Um, an important conversation that has to be had in the organization, uh, even assuming that, that they decide to go down the accountability path, uh, which is a big assumption, but assuming you want to go down the accountability path is what sort of uh, accountability do you want? Do you want accountability which is retributive in, in nature, i.e. Uh, you broke a rule or you've broken this rule lots of times, therefore we need to de decide what the punishment is going to be, whether it's kind of some form of counselling or written or suspension or whatever the case may be, or do you want to take a restorative path whereby there's been damage done here, whether it be to the organization, to, the, to another, another individual, or it's the trust, and there has to be a certain amount of accountability now to restore and make good on what has been damaged. So that's, that's the, the conversation that needs to be had about the accountability. But just going back a step prior to that, about rules being broken, we want to get a lot more interested when, when rules are broken, why is the rule being broken? If it's, is, it, is this just one person breaking the rule? Or is, if you get a lot more interested, you may find that lots of people are breaking the rule. Um, certainly in an airport setting, uh, I have some experience with ramp operations, a number of airlines having great difficulty getting people working on the ramp to consistently wear their seat belts. But they're under a lot of pressure, constantly moving, constantly jumping in the vehicle and doing very short journeys, like maybe only a few meters. 
And every time they want them to wear the seatbelt. So what they did there was, well, it's, you know, human nature, except the fact it's human nature, people are going to take a shortcut, especially when they're under pressure. So they put in place a system whereby the vehicle won't activate unless the seatbelt is on. Uh, so that's one way of kind of forcing, changing the conditions to kind of force that behavior. If you decide that's a non-negotiable. Um, so there's a lot of discussion to be had around the context of rule breaking. It's not just simply a case of, well, there's rules are being broken. Now we need to decide whether we want to take retributive action or restorative action. First step is, is the rule even appropriate? Um, do we want to have this rule still? Do we want to allow some leeway? Or do we want to intervene in the conditions around the rule as opposed to the behavior? Okay. Um, uh, someone has said people are both the solution and the problem. This is not about left or right. We need to do both. How do you think? Yeah, well, it's an interesting perspective. Um, certainly people are responsible for all of our success, a lot of our success, maybe all of our success, but people are also involved in a lot of things that go wrong, but it's whether or not we want to see them as the source of the problem or part of the problem. Um, so um, I guess that's again more of a, a philosophical uh, conversation, but I guess it's, again, it's more of a nuanced conversation rather than simply saying people are the problem or people are the solution. All right, um, Shan has asked, is there a recording of this brief? Yes, we are recording it and we'll send it out hopefully later today or early tomorrow, Shan. And um, the last one that um, we've got on here is, what is the difference between safety differently and safety one? Um, so again, that, that could be a, um, <laughs> a very big conversation. It could be a relatively short conversation. And I guess it partly depends on who you ask. Um, so there was recently an article or uh, a piece put up by Eric Holnagel uh, describing safety differently as safety one. Um, I feel that's a little harsh myself. Uh, safety one is another word for um, term for traditional safety, I guess. Well, safety, which is focused on stopping things from going wrong, whereas safety two is focused on making sure things go well. Um, safety differently is firmly focused on making things go well in terms of the third principle is about positive capacity and making things go well. So I would say safety differently at the very least is very much oriented towards safety too. Although obviously any, any, uh, sensible organization is going to be incorporating the idea of safety one and safety two. We still have to stop things, try and stop things from going wrong, uh, as well as trying to make things go well. All right, you may have just done this, but um, Andrew says, I know you covered it briefly, but could you also share a very short explanation between safety two and safety differently? <laughs> okay, so so the, one of the primary differences, of course, is the fact that there's two different authors. Uh, Eric Holnagel wrote the book Safety One and Safety Two, uh, and Sydney Decker and Daniel Humadal and, and Mark McLaren and Kelvin Gen and John Green, I think were the original five who came up with this idea of safety differently. Uh, and Sydney Decker has certainly done a lot of the academic work around safety differently. On the face of it, safety differently incorporates a lot of the ideas of safety too. Um, and from my perspective, they are, aside from maybe some of the semantics and some of the language essentially talking the same message um, so you may be better off engaging with the academics directly in terms of why they feel uh, they're different uh, Eric Holnagel his website is Sinusis, I believe it is sinusis.com uh, and there's information he's written there around safety two and safety differently and how they're different but then equally Sydney has written stuff saying how safety differently and safety two are essentially the same so so take your pick Okay, um, Edward has asked, um, is there any metrics that can be used to measure the success or impacts of safety differently? So that's kind of one of the, uh, one of the questions that kind of comes up a lot. And it's kind of like, well, that depends on the organization, depends on the context. Uh, think about what sort of things do you want to go well? And then think about, well, how could you measure those things going well? Think also about the positive capacities uh, discussion we just had. The difficulty is, and there's, a, there's been a great book written about this, The Tyranny of Metrics by Jerry Muller. The, the, the problem is, as soon as we want to measure things, unfortunately, we always tend to have a lot of unintended consequences. And all of a sudden, maybe the measure becomes more important than the, what it is we're trying to measure. And sometimes 
a metric, we've got to remember metrics are always proxies for what it is we're really trying to measure. So sometimes you have to weigh up this discussion between do we want to measure versus do we want to monitor and understand? Um, and that's a conversation which a lot of organizations certainly have. Okay, do we want to do more monitoring as opposed to more measuring? Um, but traditional metrics aren't going away. Oftentimes these have to be reported. So we still have lag indicators and, and some organizations that have done safety differently have seen great improvement in their lag indicators uh, as well. Um, Dave asks, what do you, hi Dave, how are you? <laughs> what do you feel will be the landscape of safety in 20 years? That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think a lot of the research that both Drew Ray and Dave Proven have done at Griffith uh, and, and it's equally Dave Proven's points some works by David Woods in the US is really informative and points a way forward. Uh, I think the role of safety professionals is changing and has to change. And I think in the future, safety professionals and the, the safety, you know, the safety department in an organization is essentially going to be um, in, in a positive way, the kind of the intelligence of the organization, i.e. understanding what's going on, what's happening, why it's happening. Uh, they are the people who are going to be able to connect uh, the appropriate knowledge to the appropriate areas of the business. Um, Drew sometimes he also uses the term, uh, they hold up, an organ, uh, hold up a mirror to the organization to say, this is who we are and these are the things that we do. So I think that's going to be part of it. And I think the safety two conversation is not going to go away. And I think Eric's idea that safety, the safety two perspective is making things go as well as possible. Well, that becomes as much then about quality and reliability and operational excellence and all these kind of ideas. So I think safety is going to be increasingly for those organizations that go this way, it's going to become more central to the organization, how it operates uh, for the two reasons I've laid out there. But I think that's probably the, the future. Uh, ideally, uh, if the safety profession really wants to be uh, relevant and, and a real value adding part of the organization, I think safety has already laid out its own path of destruction. If it carries on with the way things have been going for the last 10 years or 15 years, ever more compliance and bureaucracy and this overall, feeling in many organizations that safety is something that is done to us by other people uh, and it's basically something that gets in the way. Organizations that are unable to change that paradigm and change that conversation, the safety people are going to become increasingly marginalized uh, and outsiders. All right, uh, Raja says, how the safety differently balance conversation to reduce the costs or being innovative to keep the same costs and procedures, how to determine the threshold level of costs that the business is willing to invest across the company? I'm not entirely sure um, I understand the question, to be honest. With you. Um, so I, I guess the point we are making in this presentation is about being uh, balanced, nuanced, finding what's working. It's not, and if it's, things are working well in the organization, right? Just because it's got a label on it, which might be a traditional or safety one label, don't do away with that. Um, build on that. But if there are things we know full well are not adding any value, and they are uh, things we can do away with, do away with those things for sure. But there doesn't have to be a huge cost associated with doing something like safety differently. Uh, there's a lot of free material out there. It's a case of first and foremost changing how you think about work and how work gets done and what the purpose of safety is. And everything else kind of flows from there, really. Okay, Ryan says, I see a lot of safety philosophies being spoken about at the moment, safety two differently, HOP, HRO and resilience engineering. I think they all have some really valuable material. Do you have to commit wholeheartedly to one or can you cherry pick and create a safety system that doesn't fall into a label? I think someone must have read my, one of my LinkedIn posts that I put up last <laughs> night where I actually uh, made a comment uh, similar to that. Um, because at times it, it does feel very much like people are getting increasingly married uh, to a particular label or idea uh, and saying this is right and everything else is wrong or this is right for the following reasons and all this uh, type of stuff. And I don't think it's terribly useful. Uh, we need to give things labels because that's how we're then able to talk about them. Uh, but I think most of these ideas have at the base of them, they have an interdis interdisciplinary approach, which means we take different ideas from different types of uh, disciplines and sciences to, to make progress. So I think it totally makes sense for an organization to find what works for them, find the language that works for them. Um, 
because ultimately that they're all going in a similar direction or if not the same direction in terms of what safety looks like um so it's the case of not getting as worked up about the labels and find what works for your organization is what i would say okay final question um which organizations have implemented safety differently and how have they tracked the success of it so some of the ones that have been involved with safety differently the longest so is uh, origin uh, origin energy um, and lango rock uh, the construction company uh, more recent times queens and urban utilities um, and there's probably a, a fair host of others too they're the ones i can think of at the top of my head and um, you'd probably have to go and speak to those organizations and, and ask some of those questions in terms of what are the things they've done and, and what's the success they've had. Because the success isn't being measured just in terms of uh, safety. Uh, Woolworths is another one, the Woolworths experiment, which is worth looking at, and that's included in the Safety Differently movie. movie which was, yeah, safety is improved, but other things that improve, which as a consequence are things like trust and engagement and locus of control. Um, so these are all really positive kind of uh, changes, which are not necessarily related specifically to safety, uh, but are obviously highly advantageous and desirable for the organization. All right, thank you, Andy. I, I believe we've got, uh, we've been talking to the, the Queensland Urban Utilities um, people about doing a webinar with them too, so. Yeah, so they've got a lot of uh, great stories and, and uh, things they could be able to share in terms of the things they've done, so I'd certainly recommend that. Yep. All right, um, so that, that's it for all of the questions. Um, we can obviously, we'll send an email out with Andy's details if you want to ask him more questions or um, look at their um, resources and um, we'll send the video out later. So once again, Andy, thank you very much. Um, make sure everybody, uh, if you're interested in the, the HOP webinar next week, next Thursday morning, um, that's on, you can register at the, the link we sent earlier. So thank you, Andy. Um, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks very much, Sarah. Speak to you again. Okay, bye. See you, everyone.